We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Oh, I haven't said those words in a little while. I missed it. Um, it's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you, we are uh, now, I guess, yeah, a full week plus removed from the end of the 2020-2021 season. Um, we wanted to take a little bit of a break, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. But first, um, let me get a couple things out of the way. For one... Um, very special guest today, and I say that uh, fully meaning every word. Um, he is a best-selling author. Um, he has written um, several books, and all of them are amazing. Um, the Captain, book by Derek Jeter, Arnie and Jack, book about Arnold uh, uh, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas. wrote a Bill Belichick biography. He has a Coach K biography coming out next year. Um, and if you've been paying attention, he has been writing uh, quite a bit about the Knicks um, over the last several months uh, for the New York Post, started out with the Daily News over 20 years ago. He has had quite a career. You've seen his stuff on ESPN, several other places. Ian O'Connor joins the program today. We had a very, very fun and insightful conversation about this year's team, about the state of the franchise, where they were, where they're going. Um, he dropped a couple of little tidbits that I think you're going to enjoy. Um, full disclosure, we recorded this podcast just before the playoffs started, so you'll you'll hear him reference. Um, I believe it, uh, he references Sunday night in the uh, future tense. He's referring to, to game one of the the playoffs when he says that. Um, it doesn't change one iota of um, the uh, you know how the conversation resonates. I actually went back listened to it again. Um, it's really great stuff. You're really going to enjoy this. Um, so Ian O'Connor is coming up in a little bit, but because it was a bit of a shorter conversation, I think we spoke for about 25 minutes. Um, and because there's some other stuff that we have to get to um, that is of uh, present interest, I am bringing on, as I do occasionally, my good friend, my uh, occasional co-host, I guess. Um, and of course, the producer of this podcast and all things that we put out here at Nick's Film School, uh, Andrew Claudio. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, the Alfred to your Batman, as many a Knicks Film School uh, post-game live chat participant will want to remind me of, which is still arguably the most embarrassing moment 
of my online life is forgetting Alfred in the Batman universe. Uh, See, I, I look yeah. at it a different way. I don't think it's a. I, I we we talked about this a little bit. I don't think it's appropriate because Alfred is not capable of donning the cape and cowl and uh, going out there yeah. and swinging from uh, buildings and and fighting crime. Whereas you are. Um, perhaps more qualified. <laughs> there isn't a comic where he is like actually Batman. That is it really? No, I'm asking. This oh, is I where I would Maybe. hope. This is where we need somebody with so, more yeah. knowledge of the canon of Batman. Uh, yeah. John, how are you enjoying this? This somewhat of a break this week. Yes, yeah, so, uh, that's a good place to start. So, um, if you are a uh, loyal listener of the show, or at least you pay attention to when we drop episodes, you'll know that we we diverted this week. I uh, mentioned something to that effect in the intro to the locker room uh, pod, which replaced this week's Monday podcast. Obviously, this is the only other pod we're dropping this week. We'll get back to normal next week. Um, it's been a necessary break. <laughs> it's been say that again. Yeah, it has been. It's been re- like I, it. You know what? It, it hit me. It's so. You know, as you obviously know, but for any any of our listeners who who don't know, um, you know, I kind of once I took the newsletter to a new level before the season, it was really important to me to be able to produce um, newsletters that were comprehensive analyses of the previous night's game, which often means me staying up until, you know, two or three in the morning. And then when you so that was obviously going on for for all the games down the stretch of the season. But then when you factor in, I think and this might sound ridiculous to some people, but I'll say it anyway, because I'm always honest. When you factor in kind of the emotional um, gravity and weight of the season where you really felt like, oh, my God, this is like such a huge game. And then like it was the winning streak into the West Coast swing into those must win games at the end of the season. And then you had, you know, obviously the playoffs. It was just very heavy. It was a lot of heaviness. And I'm like, I was I was thinking this week, I'm like, my God. How, how do the players do with this? Because I'm a fucking <laughs> podcaster. Yeah. And I'm sitting here being like, man, I really need a break. Like, I need, how do players get through four rounds of playoffs? And I can't, I, I, I can't sit behind a microphone for, for five playoff games. Well, maybe this is where we give Kyrie and KD and Harden all the credit in the world oh. for taking most of the regular season off so that way they have <laughs> all these bullets ready to fire Kawhi? here in the post. Look at Kawhi. Kawhi exactly. Uh, rest, load, load management. So now we know yeah. next year, the 2022 season, John's just going to take all of February and March off so that way he's ready for the, the home stretch in the postseason. Yeah, but it's but it really I I swear to you it really did make me think um and appreciate uh players who are able to I mean, listen we 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 hate on LeBron James sometimes but mm-hmm. the guys won championships in seasons where he played pretty much every game so you know, kudos to him um so yeah it was a nice it was a nice necessary break uh, just to get away from it all a little bit still writing obviously but getting away from this aspect how has it been for you well so I've hinted at it during the season that. I have a move in my future coming up and I hope those of you on YouTube that have enjoyed the man cave that I built for you uh, and get one last good look because the next time you probably see me on this podcast, it'll be from a different location permanently for the foreseeable future. There's literally, I think, I don't know if it's off camera or in the, in the shop, but there is a pile of clothes that will be in a suitcase in the not too distant future. It is off. Uh, maybe it, I could. I think that's what I'm looking at. Well, in the so corner. you might yeah. see it, but I might edit it out of the oh, shot and post. Okay. So that's fine. Regardless, um, yeah, I I mentioned it in the in the last live stream that, and I can now say because it it's now in the past that I had a surprise 
thing for my girlfriend this weekend who had a birthday. And I also almost spoiled her surprise party during the live stream, which ended up happening on Saturday. Um, it was, I don't want to say it was a relief that the season ended so that other things could get our attention. But I don't know how you feel, but seeing what the Hawks have done. And, and yeah. you know, I, I had this this running thing where I thought the Hawks were great and everybody gave me shit for it. I didn't think they were potentially what Eastern Conference Finals good. I just thought they could beat the Knicks in six was yeah. my take. And now seeing the playoffs, like, oh, the Knicks, like they they had a great season this this year. I wouldn't trade it for anything. They were a year ahead of schedule. And Jeremy brought up a good point about the Laker game that maybe they were running out of gas down the stretch and we just didn't notice it. And come playoff time, teams figured out, let's just double Randall and then the shooting numbers will start to level off to some type of normalcy. You know, that the nine game winning streak, as great as it was, maybe it was more of a mirage than we thought, but still sets them up in a great position for the offseason. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you could look at it so many different ways. Because the season, um, I I don't know what's what's the positive connotation of spiraled out of control. It's like spiraled out of control in a good way. Um, you know, you know Just, I don't think they spiraled out of control though. I think they no, ran out of gas. That's no, the thing. no, no, no. I'm talking about the good, the nine game winning streak, and then finishing winning whatever they won, sixteen of of twenty games. Yeah, but I'm talking about before that, we were all still sitting here thinking the same thing that we think about the Knicks right now, which is that, oh, this is a really fun story. This team has fought hard and they've they've been in so many games we didn't expect them to to to, to be in. Sure, mm-hmm. they haven't really beat anybody good, but like and then the the win streak happened. And if you go back and you really examine the win streak, they were gelling and they were clearly feeling something. But there were a lot of tense moments in that streak. And then, you know, and I, I agree with you. Jeremy's point was a fantastic one um, about how the Lakers game was really our first signal, you know, and even so Tibbs has his coach of the year uh, trophy. Now his second coach of the year trophy, I should say. Um, and Winhorse uh, made a good point on his podcast. I think it was yesterday or on, on Monday uh, or Tuesday, whatever it was earlier this week where, you know, I think, in his or he said in his view the result of the Hawks series not the result the result as much as the eye test like just looking at those games was almost more of a validation for Tibbs winning that trophy because it's like wow this team really does not have the same caliber of talent as Atlanta mm-hmm. or for that matter turn on literally any playoff game right now and you could say the same thing about the Knicks and a lot of the, I mean let's be honest all of these teams in addition to a few teams that got eliminated I mean Dallas I know we beat Dallas once this year I know we finished with a slightly better net rating than Dallas or maybe it was about even whatever like there are still they were a year away and they, yeah. they outkicked their coverage this season to borrow an analogy from another um sport and um and that's fine and that's fine and that's good that we can sit here and we can realize that now um, as we watch the rest of the playoffs and and maybe have some other takeaways. So, yeah, that's good observation. Well, so it's not even more. It's not even so much that they were a year away. It's that, I mean, the 22 win projection by Vegas or whatever the, the over under was. Tw- 21 and a half was the one I always used. Yeah. So 21 and a half. It, it's almost as if they skipped a step. They were it's not it, yeah. they went from being a year away from being a year away to now a year ahead of schedule. You know, I, I don't think to to say this team hosted a playoff series, regardless of how that post that playoff series went. Yeah. 
I think that matters, especially going into this summer. Well, well why? So let's can we talk about that for half a second? Yeah. In the in in terms of why it matters, there's the there's the perception around the league conversation about oh the Knicks are here now they're a 41 win team they they got a home playoff series they're a player away maybe I should be that player or help you know get them there. That's one conversation, and then to me, a somewhat related but mostly different conversation is the. They have figured out a, a, a sustainable formula here to basically come into our program. It's a family dynamic. It's it's we work hard, play hard. I don't know what playing hard <laughs> they do, but whatever. They like get along well, but they do work hard. Clearly, I mean, no, there's mm-hmm. nobody's gonna you know beat around the bush as far as Tibbs' requirements. And if you don't do it his way, you're you're gonna be gone. I guess it's both of those things, but I don't know which is like more or less. I don't. That's the other thing I've been thinking about. Well, going from the the Tibbs way, which I think you and I, whether we get called Tibbs apologists or not, is just irrelevant. The guy won Coach of the Year and got forty one wins that's- and a, a playoff berth, let alone a home playoff series, uh, from a team that was supposed to win twenty one games. Just that elevator pitch alone. Oh, so he was the coach of the year. Great. Um, <laughs> Makes it a lot easier to be an apologist. I just think eventually, though, which is why I really hope Johnny Bryant stays on his coaching staff. Eventually, yeah. though, some of that might get tired, especially if superstars don't want to come play here. But that's like a whole different level of conversation to yeah. have now, because yeah. I thought we were a year or two away from even thinking of being the four seed or making the play. Like, you know what I'm saying? So Mo- go, go, moving, moving, how, well, but that, that really is, the, I mean, if we're, we're getting out of ourselves and these are things that we'll talk about over the course of the summer, mm-hmm. have the goalposts really been moved? Um, and that's probably the overarching question of the summer. Well, this, I think, leads to like one of the two things I wanted to talk about with you during this, this little intro is there should be some rules that seasoned Knicks fans uh, have learned by yes. now. When it comes to reading the internet scuttlebutt and the rumors. And the first and foremost thing is understanding that an incompetent New York has always been mentioned in trade rumors and free agent destinations because every agent wants to get their client the, mo- the most money and the best deal possible. So throwing the New York Knicks into conversation will drive up the price and create a bidding war, especially with the cap space we, we that they have. We saw this all through that mini offseason that they had. It's how Gordon Hayward got a better deal. It's how a bunch of other guys got a better deal. Now the Knicks are competent. That's only going to get worse. And for your own sanity, guys, Bagley, Woj, Shams, uh, Windhorse to an extent, like there are key names you listen to. You don't listen to the other guys. There's just certain names that if you just hear rumor or I heard or potential uh, like mutual interest. No, wait for the main people to give you sources. And then we go from there. So I want to, yes, Woj, Shams. I, I don't want to, this is tough because we've we've had a lot of um, people. Oh, Berman's on, this- on that list too. Like, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody by leaving, like the guys I didn't say, but there are certain names that we should, we, there are certain buzzwords too. Mutual interest does not mean the Knicks are going to sign Kelly Oubre. Like, come on, guys. We've been through this before. And and but that was a that was a Berman report. Look, mm-hmm. Berman's got a lot of stuff right over the years. Um, you know, but he puts he puts let's just say this. Mark will put more stuff out there mm-hmm. than Ian. And I I one of my favorite moments in the 300 some odd episodes of this podcast was when I asked Ian about his process in terms of when do you 
how do you go about we're like okay i'm i feel comfortable putting this out there when do you do that you know and the way he spoke about it made it very clear um to me at least and it should i think be clear to everybody if you hear something from Ian Bagley, like it's it's rock solid it, mm-hmm. you know and and in terms of just like is there actual fire where the smoke is coming from you know Woj again I don't you know Woj will speak in generality sometimes but when he if he gives you a a specific name and he doesn't usually give you a name unless it's already happened Sham same thing you know but short of those guys um you're gonna hear a lot of stuff you're gonna hear a lot of stuff and I just take it all with many several grains of salt um that's the biggest ground rule I'm trying to think I I I want, can I send another one about anyone, any, like, especially any national, no, any national or local media person who is like, they're the Knicks need to step up before next, like next season, like they won 41 games. If they don't, if they don't do something to make it X number of wins or, 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 you know, whatever that then like that, I know that that's going to be out there. And I know it's unavoidable. I'm I'm writing a little bit about it later this week. And like, I get that. But like, if you are someone who is, again, loyal listener to this pod and like tries to not like sometimes we'll get sucked into the, the noise and sometimes won't. Don't get sucked into that. Just continue assessing. This would be my two cents. Continue assessing the moves that the organization makes based on the little internal voice you have. Like, is this does this seem smart or does this seem st-? like just. Take it one step at a time. Like there's no, there's still no, there was no magic wand last off season. There was no magic wand this trade deadline. There's not going to be any magic wand this off season. I feel like that falls under the common sense rule of. You'd under, think so. I, listen, I don't understand common practices with Twitter anymore. I've adopted. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter. I've adopted the mentality of <laughs> like I'm here for the jokes. That's why every single report that happens, I f- try to find the funny. Yeah. And either tweet it out or look for somebody that has tweeted it out and retweeted it. That is my philosophy with with that app as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I I can't let the especially and I and this I don't know how much we should get into it. I think it's just a, important to mention if people who are TV characters, you know, like have a show on the worldwide leader in sports uh, from ten to like we don't have to mention like say names, but like do not get completely triggered by someone that knows that Nick's equal clicks and drive the that drive ratings a certain way. I mean, that goes without saying, though, doesn't it? I mean, it that hopefully to me, does. But like, so leave that, his to, me is, then, that to me is common sense that when, when that you shouldn't be you shouldn't be um, judging your the like your, your team based on someone who gets paid for entertainment, not information. Thank you. you know, but like, I that's did. the thing. And like, Shout out to CP who's like capitalized on that. I'm happy for I, him. God bless. But like a failed <laughs> rapper that's gonna that really is more of a boxing expert shouldn't be the person that triggers Knicks fans into thinking that this season wasn't a success. Yeah, that's I, more where I stand on pay, that. So pay that, no that's, mind. That's that. the common sense is where I'm going no, to. Pay no mind. Um, I I do think this all season is going to be very challenging for Leon Rose because I do think that he will feel pressure. To return Ooh, it, you don't think I don't so? Know. I thought I he, felt, he I, but I thought he felt pressure last off season, like that there was like you got to make an immediate splash, and he went into this season with 
a roster that we all thought wasn't more than like 27, yeah. 28 wins. And that's high for like that was going to beat the Vegas over under. And he got 41 wins out of it. So I actually think he has more credibility if he passes on certain guys, knowing what next offseason, what the free agent list could be. So I think the interesting part there, well, again, we're not going to spend a lot, too much time on this now. Right, but again, right. we're just kind of laying the groundwork. The interesting part there is I, I really do feel like the NBA has become a league where you, you kind of have to... Sh- Strike while the while the iron is hot, or at least the way it seems like almost every GM acts, um, especially GMs in big markets, is is strike while the iron's hot, and, and you you want to capitalize. It, that's what it is. You want to you you want to capitalize on success, and when the success starts to subside, does it become harder to capitalize on the on the that success the further away? you get from it. And if we're sitting here a year from now and the Knicks have, you know, I don't know. And and we're assuming we play an 82 game season, you know, the Knicks have finished 41 and 41 and they're, they, you know, they got into the eighth seed and maybe they, um, or the ninth seed and they won a playoff play in game. And then they lost another one and they, but there were some signs of internal improvement and this and the other thing. And like, maybe someone they signed in the, whatever, like was okay. Like, you know, is there, and they don't get anybody big next summer. Like, I think that's Leon Rose's doomsday scenario. And I think, but again, it's resisting the temptation not to do anything stupid because you're, you, you're acting out of fear of that possibility with, we got to make sure we have a certain modicum of aggression because, you know, there is buzz right now. And, and, and look, what is that going to come down to? That's going to come down to dollars and cents. Who do you offer the money to? Who do you believe in? It's going to, you know, they have to make good decisions. But I, but I, I disagree. I think there's some pressure on them. I really do feel there's some pressure on them. I, it depends where the pressure is coming from. Because I think Dolan seeing what the garden became and how that, that might be their best recruiting tool, in my opinion. Just like, go look at what happened on an Obi Top and Alley-Oop. Like, now imagine you playing there 82 games a year. You know, that that's where okay. the, you said the not doing anything stupid, like what trade is going to make them a championship contender that would like that's where like the Dame Lillard stuff like that's a, a whole other conversation for the future. Yes. But, but, them, but them being patient and building the right way is is more where I see them going with this. And that means they don't get anybody a big whale this offseason, but they keep their assets and flexibility going into next summer. I, I feel like. Nick, the, the majority of Knicks fans will be rational enough to see, hey, like they're building something here. They're this. This is part of the process. It's 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 fascinating from the perspective of like, well, I, this will transition to the last thing we're going to talk about, which is the you know playoff teams that maybe the Knicks should or shouldn't be rooting for right now. Um, well, this doesn't have to do with that, but Atlanta went out, and I think. I personally thought they overspent. Even like Bogdanovich was a contract that looks, quite frankly, great now. Yeah. Um, when that contract was signed, I'm like, eh, a little, little bit much. Um, Gallinari, they, I mean, that number, it, it still seems absurd. Um, what is it, three for 60 or three for 57 or whatever the hell it was? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they went and Rondo and um, trying to I think it's, it's safe to say we were all somewhat wrong about what happened with Atlanta outside of like letting Pierce start the year 
and then like eventually going to McNillan whenever they did, you know? So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in this Philly series. Maybe they win in seven games, maybe they lose in seven games. Like wh- nobody thinks that the Hawks are going to get to like the finals. If they get to the conference finals um, and they get smoked, is that that different from them getting to a seventh game against uh, Philadelphia and then losing? Um, and look, we, we'll have to see what happens next year and the year after that. So like, these are really tough conversations to have without knowing the future, which we obviously don't. But it's just very interesting to me that they went out and they spent a lot of money on stuff that whatever you think of the stuff that they spent their money on, we could all agree it did not make them a championship contender. Um, and, and more so, it's now actually going to put pressure on them to re-sign some of the guys like Collins. Um, you know, Hunter's going to be extension eligible before you know it. Like keeping, uh, um, keeping all these pieces in place um, for maybe a very, 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 very good but not great team. Like, was it worth it? Um, like, what was this year worth for Atlanta? And, and just because they're not going to win the championship this year, should like, does that mean that like, okay, well, maybe they're a, a trade away and like maybe someone sees what Trey Young is doing on the biggest stage in sports and like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go play in Atlanta with that guy. But the, so these are the interesting conversations, which is why I don't think it always has to come down to, oh, is your move making it like bringing you directly from point A to point B where point B is a, a, a ticker tape parade. No, then don't do the move. I think the conversation is more nuanced than that. And I think if Leon Rose sits back and is just judging, and I don't think he will, is judging every move by that and that alone, I I, I I don't think that's the right move. I think there needs to be some nuance in these in these discussions and, and thought processes around who to sign and who to trade for, this, that. But again, we have we have a whole summer to talk about all that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It then leads to probably the last part of this convo, and it's what needs to happen going forward. Like, we're recording this on Wednesday at 5 o'clock, so game two of both the... What is it? Both the... It's just the, the Sun series is playing. It's going on tonight, right? Oh, the Bucks are playing. Bucks... Oh, my God, the Bucks. So Bucks well, and no, Nets that's is not, also that's tonight, tonight, too. No, no. That's, oh, that's tomorrow. Okay. That's tonight. So t- tomorrow is um, Bucks, Nets, and uh, Clippers, Jazz. Um, or uh, today, as you are listening to this on a Thursday, um, and the Suns um, Nuggets game will have will have happened already. Um, so, um, so what do you want? What do you what necessarily are you rooting for? And what do you think as a result of what you're rooting for? I think it'll coincide with what is best for the Knicks going into this offseason. Um, I'll just take it series by series. I don't think the Clippers. What happens there? And to them or the Jazz, I don't think it matters. 
Okay. Um, so Kawhi, you that pipe dream's gone. Um, I, did, I mean, it's gone for me. I mean, look, I'm, okay. <laughs> if if he sides here and you're and you want to clip this and uh, throw it back in my face all That's over fine. Twitter, yeah. please deal noted. I'm the happiest, <laughs> happiest person in the world. Um, yeah, but the Kawhi ship has sailed for me personally. Um, uh, although I think maybe there's a Patrick Beverly salary no, dump. No, no. Okay. no. Anyway, um, the. The the Sun series is you know it's the it's funny we're back to the it's the third fucking off season in a row we're back to having a Chris Paul discussion it's amazing, um, I, I like what you're gonna like what you're gonna have to pay that guy to me like sitting here and being like man I hope Chris Paul wants to come and take three years and you know a hundred million dollars worth of or you know something close to that of our money I just. That's where my spidey sense goes off. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't, something about that doesn't jive. Um, especially with the other options that are available at point guard um, this summer. And I realize none of them are Chris Paul. But like, you know, this is a guy that we're, is getting older. We're seeing him literally physically break down in front of our eyes. I may, Maybe that's rude of me to say, but like, you know, his shoulders all kinds of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Chris Paul's shortcomings in the playoffs, his injuries are Masked a bit by the fact. Oh, hey, Skyler. Um, are masked a bit by the fact that he's got a Devin Booker to shoulder some of the offensive burden, um, throughout, which you know is is going to be good for him. Um, and probably why he resigns in Phoenix this offseason over anything that he could have with the Knicks. That's the other part of it. I think it. it I think he'll wind up resigning. And mm-hmm. then as far as the rest of the East, I mean, Philly and um, my goodness, this kid um, we will finish this up soon. Um, Philly and Atlanta. Does that influence the Knicks one way or the other? So I know I'm, I know this is sacrilege Knicks fans, but I'm kind of rooting for Atlanta because being able to say that you lost to a team that was good enough to like, blown away just let's it puts our this season more into context and so if atlanta beats philly and then they get to the conference finals and it's like well that team clearly was just a year ahead of us and if you swallow your pride and it's like no they cheat they hunt for fouls well then like that's your prerogative but i think if you look at it more with the sense of like they built something they didn't make it like yes the luca thing happened but they built something from that draft around a guy successfully, it more puts into context what the Knicks can then do. And whether Julius is the guy, whether regardless or not, I think at least for me, it makes me feel better that it wasn't just going to happen to us this playoffs. Like they didn't go to Philly, look completely overmatched. And it's like, we couldn't beat that team. And yeah. it's more like, oh, that team. Oh, well, that, but that ship actually was as good. No, I we, hope it sailed. Like, we, we, this we, is where you're not being on Twitter. You missed some of the scuttlebutt of like, no, you know, no. I'll, I'll, the Hawks I'll, actually aren't that good. I'll, you know? I'll live with, I'll live with that loss. Uh, that, that'll go right <laughs> next to Tibbs isn't actually that good of a coach. Uh, yeah. those, those takes were fun in the beginning of the year. Um, the other part of the Philly series, I think that could is if Philly, you know, they, so this, they then see that Ben Simmons isn't the guy. So, and here's, that's what's interesting to me. Is because then that's a different conversation. He's you know? a name, and again, t- t- well, actually, I'm sure someone else has said this. Whatever. I've heard Simmons' name. I'll, I'll just say it, you know, go, but that dates back to Mills. I mean, I, and and th- that's probably true of 29 other teams are probably sitting around talking about, oh, I wonder when Philly's going to blow it up. He's you know. a clutch guy, right? Um, or is he Jay Z's? He's he's clutch. 
He's clutch. All right. I didn't know if there was a CAA connection or not. Well, no, Embiid's the CAA guy. That's who it is. So but I think Philly would choose Embiid over Simmons, though. Oh, well, that, which, but that, but see that, but this year confirmed, like, in, in, and especially now that Embiid's going to be able to get the, um, the Supermax, mm-hmm. like, Embiid's not going anywhere. Right. Um, Simmons, on the other hand, obviously the Knicks and, and, um, Sixers don't make for ideal trade partners. Um, um, no, uh, let's. They don't no, make for no, ideal. No, they don't make not yet. They don't make for ideal trade partners. It doesn't mean that there can't be a, a three way trade. Um, and I don't know what that trade would be. Maybe if you know Washington wants to blow it up, send Bradley Beal uh, to Philly. We get Simmons and we send Washington like all the all the picks under the moon and a young player or two. That would be interesting. Um, maybe there's another player out there who I'm not thinking of that fall that that fits that bill. Um, so that's interesting. And then the other series, Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee. Um, you know, we're talking well, about the end. I think that more, as far as the Knicks are concerned, um, it would change what the window is like. the The pressure for Leon, if the Nets are really just going to be able to treat the regular season like it doesn't matter, and then show up every playoffs for the next two or three years, and just say, "All right, we're here, and we're going to roll over everybody, and we're going to win three straight titles," yeah. then that takes all the pressure away from Leon Rose. Just wait until that window for them is closed. It's it's only been three or four it's only been three or four year windows anyway. I you don't know? think I don't think he's ever gonna operate like that. One, because it's the Knicks and the Nets and it's the mm-hmm. city and it's MSG and James yeah, Dolan's the owner of the that. team. The Nets built a super team and like the Nets are still irrelevant in this city. Here's the other yes, yeah, true but I still don't think Leon's going to sit around and be like, all right, we'll wait for the Nets run to be over, specifically because of the health issues involved with those three guys. And that's we, fair. No, that's and we, fair. And we're literally seeing that play out right now. I mean, except it hasn't mattered. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It hasn't mattered yet. But well, like, yeah, like, we could be talking we, like a week from now, we could be three, two bucks. And it's like, well, Claudio, you were stupid. I, I know KD catches a lot of shit from Knicks fans. He's caught a lot of shit from me because <laughs> I think he's, um, what's the right word for Kevin Durant? Um, thin-skinned, um, which causes me a great deal of amusement. He's the worst version of Millennial, is how I would put That's it. exactly what he is. Yes. Um, other than maybe Kyrie Irving. They, they're they tied uh, yeah. <laughs> at the top. Okay. Let's just say, I I hate that fucking team in, uh-huh. every, in every way possible. That said, I, I don't want to wish ill on Kevin Durant physically. He had trauma already of the, the torn Achilles. But, like, he's a, he's a wrong step away or landing the wrong way away from, like, it, you know, Change, again, everything changes. So I don't think Leon will sit around and just concede anything. Um, the, well, let me, let's be clear. I'm not saying concede. I'm saying... No, I know like, what you're saying. I know what you're saying. The window is different if... Like, the, the pressure is different. Because then if the Nets are able to do this, then they're the number one, like, buyout, vet minimum, ring chaser destination. But they're going to be that anyway. Right, so then, or the, or the Lakers for the as Knicks, long as. So then, what's the pressure to trade everything for a splash move when the smart move is to build up your assets and build what's here, like they did this season? Because I do, again, this is a much longer conversation, but I don't think the no, I think the notion of let's sit around and build up our assets, it is, and and Jeremy talks about this sometime. The bill comes due very soon these days in the NBA. Look at Phoenix. Phoenix is about to shell out a 
some obscene number for DeAndre Ayton. A year after that, it's going to be or, or excuse, oh sorry, they're both. In the, what am I talking about? They're both in the same uh, draft class. And Mikal Bridges. Those guess what? Those two guys are about to cost them upwards of sixty million. Not sixty, but like Mikal's going to get over twenty a year. DeAndre's going to get uh, close to thirty a year. Um, the bill comes due. Guess what? If RJ Barrett goes out next year and has the type of year that we all expect him to have. Do you think like the, there's going to be the Steve Mills bullshit? Like, oh no, Kristaps is okay. He's okay waiting. Fuck that. <laughs> think RJ is going to be like, yeah, no, it's fine. I'll wait for it. no. He's like, where's my where's my four year something close to the max? But that speaks to more what I'm saying because the splash move would be, and I know whether people want to admit it or not, the number one trade asset the Knicks have is RJ Barrett. Of course, the number it is. one overreacting move would be. Trading RJ, I'm not, in suge- a move. I'm not suggesting that's what that. I'm saying is the pressure to make a big splash yes, like but- that is trading your best asset for somebody. But it, again, like God willing, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly work out, and it, it's wonderful and amazing. Um, you know, but it, but again, when you start signing, when you start re-signing these people to to all of this money, and let's just say for argument's sake, the Knicks go out this summer and sign. I I, I don't want to. Whoever I name. It, People are going to be pissed off because they're going to be like, why would you sign him? Pick the name of the player that you want the Knicks to sign and give them something, you know, within uh, around what their market value is. Lonzo Ball, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, um, whoever. Um, point guard is a the point big guard. Thing, yeah. Like you're, you're paying that person somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 million dollars a year. Now, if you're a smart organization and the Spurs, this is what their secret always was. And they, this is why, you know, along with Tim Duncan, they were able to sustain winning for a very long time. Is they never got hamstrung by terrible contracts, and um, or let me rephrase that: not terrible contracts. They never got hamstrung by by contracts that prohibited them from going out and doing other things. I feel like those days are kind of done, and I feel like now a guy when he's entering his like his his the first contract after his rookie contract, if he's a player, like you're gonna have to pay that dude. You know, I mean, look at what guy. And again, these are good players, but like, go look at what Markel Fultz and OG Ananobi, and I'm I'm forgetting a couple of the guys that got extensions recently. Um, Isn't right Karis before the season, Levert making got four for eighty. That was Isn't that was the year before. Uh, but like, that's the thing. That. Like, I think like, people would look at a player like that, a fifth go, option on a good team. Yeah, you know? but, and go look at what these guys are getting, and you, guess why they're getting that? Because that's their market value, and that's and you have to pay these guys. So. You know, and it's not to say that the and, and if you're a really good organization and you really do draft well, um, those players will still be value contracts and still be assets um, on um, on on the contracts that you sign them to. But the difference is that whereas right now it's super easy to put and I'm not saying to do this. R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly and whoever else they draft this year into a package for, you know, Bradley Beal and take Bradley Beal into your salary. And it's it's easy peasy. Once those guys are all on their second contracts, well, it gets a hell of a lot harder to, to package together these deals. And if suddenly Obi Toppin's the big money guy, but he's not quite at that level of player where he could be the centerpiece of a deal, you know, then you got to hope the rookies that you've drafted. But now all of a sudden you're not drafting at the top of the lottery. You're drafting 19th and 20th and 32nd. So. Again, I've gone on way, way too long, right? <laughs> but these are the issues that come when you're like, let's just play it safe and smart and build the core and the asset base and all that. Like, you have to be aggressive at some point because otherwise you're going to be sit, you know. I agree. Like, in theory, I agree. It's the... It's hard. It, 
putting look like that poll I put up about would you trade RJ Barrett for Dame as much as it was more just to see what the general consensus was. It's because I understand like if you want Dame Lillard, prove it like that's what it would cost. And it's why I, I probably end up on the side of like, see what RJ is, see what Julius is. Although I, I think if he'll accept four for 106, uh, three for 106, I'd, and, I'd do it. But. And I, I could sit here and I could tell you unequivocally that if the Knicks have a chance to get Damian Lillard this summer, the Knicks are going to get Damian Lillard this summer. It does not matter what yeah. it costs. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They'll, they'll haggle and they'll negotiate and they'll like whatever, but like, so that that tune's changed. Like you would think they would trade RJ for for Dame if it came down to it. It has because I I woke up and I started watching the playoffs. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. If you don't have one of these seven or eight guys, nothing you fucking do makes a hell of a difference. You have all the you know. It just doesn't matter. I agree, which is why like the point I tried to make when you were at the game on for Game Five, the pregame was spent mostly defending why I put the poll up, but more with the idea, and this now circles back to Leon Rose and World Wide West and Brock Galler. They now have my trust after this season. What they did this year, whether it be the, the Thibodeau thing, like every single piece during the regular season, Noel, Bullock, um, the drafting quickly, sticking with Obi Toppin through some growing pains, trading for Derrick Rose, going all in on Julius. Everything seemed to work out except for a point guard we're never going to talk about again and as a result i'm actually excited for an offseason for the first time since realistically for the first time since 2010 and it's because 2019 it felt like this pipe dream that everybody was preaching to us that the, we just we needed to see it confirmed. And then when it never happened, it was like, see, of course, it didn't work out. Now there's actually some reason for optimism. And that's that's what I'm looking forward to. And we should all be excited and optimistic. And I am excited and optimistic. And I don't think they're, they're going to have an opportunity to trade for Damian Lillard this summer. And I'm fine with that. I don't want them to trade R.J. Barrett. I like watching R.J. Barrett. I would love for him to spend his career in New York. And I hope that there's a way that he can. But I'm just, you know, the. And I, they'll make whatever signings they make, and they'll and they'll make whatever trades they make, and they'll upgrade the talent marginally, you know, in in this way and that way. Um, and it's not going to put them on a track to contention right away. But as long as you continue to be smart and you don't do any like overtly bad moves that block you out from doing other moves later down the line, that's the only reason I'm I'm saying it doesn't, you know. I guess maybe I'm I hope it doesn't sound like I'm contradicting myself because on one hand I'm saying it's okay to make margin moves. Margin moves are important because they get you to the place where you could then make the big move, which is the goal. But on the other hand, I'm 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 also saying when the time comes to make the big move, you do not turn your back on that. You make the move. Yeah. I agree. I agree. This is very pro mellow trade, by the way, where you're going with this. Which Well, that was just a stupid negotiation carried out by an idiot. You're talking about the owner, right? Yes. Okay. We, we, I'm not want to relitigate the metal trade. That's a whole other podcast. Um. Regardless, I think that is why I think this postseason, I'm I'm kind of rooting for the Suns to win it all eventually, because then the quick fix is Chris Paul wins a title and now goes and plays for Leon for <laughs> three for ninety. I you know. Listen, I who knows. Um. We'll we'll see what happens. There's there's going to be. The, What's your new finals pick, by the way? Because you had Lakers Nets as your finals pick. Oh, um, God. If you asked me that 
48 hours ago, I would have said uh, Clippers uh, Nets. And if you're asking me right now, I will say. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Why isn't it still Clippers Nets? I know game one happened last night, but I, I was still pretty. Like, I don't think Donovan Mitchell can score 45 points a game. No, I in know. That I mean. <sighs> I'll say Suns Nets. Suns Nets. Okay. I have, the, I have the same at this point. And I think that the storyline in that is fun because when we had Mike on from the, the Suns pod, uh, the, the timeline, I think is what they called it. Um, he mentioned all the storylines. Like it's it's the Suns against Nash, D'Antoni, and Amari. You know, it's it's Chris Paul. It's it's almost exactly the blueprint of the 2010, uh, 2011 playoffs where it's a guy that's never won a title finally getting there against the latest creation of a super well, team. Well, in, in his prime versus what Chris Paul is now, which is not yeah. his prime, but it's also a better a better team um, right. around him. Um, yeah, but listen, you could tell me uh, Jazz Nets. You could tell me um, what do you obviously think the Clippers wants? Nets. What? What do you think the league wants? What do I think the league wants? I think the league wants Clippers uh, Nets, obviously. the two little, That actually speaks to a larger narrative that all these little brothers in their cities because the Islanders are about to... I know you don't follow hockey. The Islanders are probably going to win, at least compete for the Stanley Cup. There's a They're oh, wow. trending upward, is what I'll say. The oh, Islanders, wow. That's fun. if they win tonight, which I hope I jinx it, um, if the Islanders win tonight, they advance to the conference finals. To They, they will have eliminated Boston. Okay. And then that bodes well for the Mets going into the summer. So it's fantastic. Oh, by the way, I made my latest Hail Mary bet, by the way. It's Jacob DeGrom to win MVP. And <laughs> I got pretty decent odds. And he's he's having he's having the best season I've ever seen, John. It's not even it's not even close. I I, I may have to uh, tune into a uh, a baseball a game baseball game at some point. Yeah. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, it is always it is always a pleasure to get to speak to someone who uh, I have been uh, reading them and consuming uh, things that they have written since I was a teenager. Um, it was funny. Uh, before I say who it is, I'm just like, well, wait a minute. Um, I know I have at least one book of his in the house because before I started going to digital. So I had to go find Arnie and Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ship it to you. Maybe you could autograph it. Um, I have... Uh, I have Belichick waiting on uh, on my Kindle for the summer for after the season is over. I'm very excited for that. Um, he is a New York Times bestselling author. He has written um, more about sports than uh, several lifetimes worth. And, of course, he is uh, the author of the upcoming book on Coach K. We're going to get into that in a bit. Ian O'Connor, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, you know, it's interesting because – you, you know, you've never been like a, a Knicks beat writer or anything, but I was I was doing the research for this and I'm like, boy, Ian really has written a lot about the Knicks over the years. Did, was that ever was that like an intentional thing? Or you just kind of found yourself writing about them. Well, I love the NBA for starters. And really, uh, I guess what would be considered by some people my heyday as a columnist in, in New York, at least when I was a little younger, it was uh, the Knicks in the 90s, and it was just such a great time, even though they never won the championship. In the 90s, just to be a sports columnist in New York, when you had the Yankee dynasty and the Knicks constantly knocking on the door, it was just a great time. And and frankly, the Knicks were bigger than the Yankees in yeah. the mid-90s for a period there. It's hard for me to convince, say, someone of my son's age that that was the case. 
but but it was the Knicks really had this town, and I, it's hard to believe or imagine really what New York would have been like had the Knicks actually won the championship. Whether they really their chance to win it was their best chances were were ninety three and ninety seven, mm. more so really than the ninety four. I thought the ninety three team was better than the ninety four team, and. So it was uh, it was a time with Pat Riley and then Van Gundy skipping over the Don Nelson uh, period of time. Although actually Don Nelson's record wasn't that terrible when he got fired, and and he had some injuries to deal with too that you know people forget about. Right, and and he had the idea of trying to trade Patrick Ewing to acquire Shaquille O'Neal, which a lot of people didn't like at the time. <laughs> Would have been a great move, as yeah. that. Yeah. So. It was uh, just being in the garden for, and that's why Sunday night will be pretty fascinating with 15,000 people in the building. It, it's just uh, a, a, a playoff game in the 90s in the garden on a Friday night against whether it was the Jordan Bulls or, or the Reggie Miller Pacers or the Miami Heat. There really was nothing like that. So I'm hopeful that the Knicks will get back to that point. Maybe Sunday night will bring all of us of a certain generation uh, down memory lane, and and that'll be uh, fun to see. And you know, it, it's interesting because this this team has been through so much over the last twenty plus years. Um, I would argue that you have uh, seen, written about, heard more than just about anyone. Um, you've sat with, or you've had a one on one conversation with Dolan, which I think is the most revealing that uh, you know anything I've ever read of his, or any show he's ever been on. You know, has been. Um, you know, you've written about the Phil era. Um, you get a sense of, of what's legit and what's not. Do, do you think that what they have going on right now is for real? Absolutely. I do. And I thought it could take longer than this. And I've talked to a lot of Knicks fans who felt the same way, that they were fine with maybe going this year with, with 29 to 32, 33 wins and never expected to get over 40. And so... Uh, Thibodeau, the only question I had about him coming in was, could he take a little bit off his fastball when it came to his approach to dealing with players, the media, the Carl Anthony Towns relationship, and, and his relationships with front office executives over the years, they've not been good. They've had, he's had no. bad endings in both places, Chicago and Minnesota. I, I think what helped him this time around was a little advice from Jeff Van Gundy to, to lighten up a little bit. And although I don't think Tom would ever admit it publicly, I think he did take that advice. Van Gundy told me that, and I wrote about it for ESPN.com before the season. And I think that he recognized that he needed to tweak a couple of things. What else has helped him uh, has been the fact that he has full belief in Leon Rose mm. and, and William Wesley. And, and he didn't have that in his previous job. He didn't have that kind of relationship with the front office that he does now in New York. So I think that's helped. He's older now. He's in his 60s. He's gone through two jobs. He's learned some things. And, and so I, I think he's older. I think he's wiser. I think he's smarter. I think he's kinder. And I think he's gentler in subtle ways, not significant tweaks to the approach. I think Tibbs couldn't do that. But if you look at the last two New York coaches or managers who – who won championships in New York, uh, Joe Girardi and Tom Coughlin, they both did that. They both changed their approach a little bit and at the suggestion of others, got a little kinder, a little gentler, and it paid off. So uh, I suspect, even though Tom would not admit it for public consumption, that he's done some of that, and I think that's gone a long way. Yeah, and and that piece you referenced, you know, you had a great line in there in which you – 
referenced uh, some of Tom's uh, run-ins with the higher-ups in his previous stops. And then you mentioned James Dolan. I think with uh, two gulps, it was. And <laughs> <laughs> one gulp not enough for James Dolan. Yeah, well, no, one one gulp was not enough. And and how and how Tibbs would would need to you know perhaps uh, adjust his approach. You know, when you've also compared Tom um, to well, maybe not compared Tom to Bill Parcells, but talked about Parcells' journey here with the Jets and to go from okay, great, you're taking over from. Talk about comps, Rich Kotite and David Fisdale. I just thought of that one now. Um, I wouldn't prob- put Fisdale quite in that ballpark. But not quite? Okay. But so maybe close enough. But but Kotite, he was the worst uh, head coach in New York I've, I've ever seen. And he was he went from 3-13 and 13 to 1-15. And, and, and Parcells just being a, a local guy who grew up a, a huge Giants yeah. fan. Tibbs being a, a local guy who grew up a huge Knicks fan. And they're both tough guys, disciplinarians. And and so and and Parcells has been a Knicks fan forever for basically like seventy years. Yeah. Oh, so he's loving this run, and he always was a big fan of Tibbs from afar. So I, yeah, I've talked to Bill a few times about Tom, and they've never met. They've never they've never talked. I think they will probably after the season. But but I think that's a it's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, and I, I remember those Jets years and and how exciting uh, those were. Tom got the first step out of the way. He got them from whatever the heck they were the last several years to what they are now, which is fantastic. Um, as you've written about several times, um, it, it, this is now the hardest step. Jeff Van Gundy has talked to you about this. Um, you, you kind of implied it in the, the Zion piece that you, you uh, wrote, which we'll get to in a minute. Do you think that what has taken place this year with these people, Leon Rose, Tom Thibodeau, um, in this market, do you think that will translate to making that next step? I don't want to say easier, but at least more feasible for this franchise. I, I agree with that, Jonathan. I think that's true. And, and the next step is always harder than just getting to confidence and, and relevance and being competitive every night. I, I hate to say that's the easy part because it's very hard to do, but it is. The Hasn't been easy for this franchise. <laughs> right. But I figured that Thibodeau would get it done within a couple of years, but he established that culture right away. And he knows that, I guess, I guess, and Knicks fans probably don't want to ask this question right now because they just want to enjoy the moment. And I get that. They deserve this. But, but of course, the big picture question is, can you win a championship with Randall and Barrett as your two best players? And ultimately, this is all about winning a championship. It's going to take two, three, four, five years. Who knows? And maybe it won't happen with this group. So that is something that uh, Tibbs and Leon Rose and William Wesley and everyone else, they're going to talk about that a lot in the offseason. And as much as you hate to even think of Randall and, and maybe to a lesser degree Barrett going in a package at some point for a, a championship-level top piece, that's something that is going to be thought about in the Knicks front office over the next summer or two, no question about it. So when you look at the people, the home run hitters that you have to compete against at the top, the LeBrons, uh, Giannis, and 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 Brooklyn, and, and their big three, and can you do that with Randall and Barrett as your two best players? And I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe yes. Mm. But I would say right now that uh, you would tilt against that being a, a serious possibility over the next two to three years. And and so the good news is the 
the players who are at that level now can look at the Knicks as a feasible landing spot. If you want to get traded, if you're unhappy where you are, what Tibbs has done is he's turned this into a destination. And the Knicks haven't been a destination for the better part of 20 years. So I think that it is now much more feasible to make that next step. The question is, how do you get there? And can Randall and Barrett still be part of that going forward? Or do you have to make a really tough decision on either of those two fronts? It's interesting. You mentioned LeBron. I was listening to, uh, I think it was last week, your your colleague uh, Brian Windhorst was talking about the Knicks on the podcast and how, you know, once upon a time, um, the, the Lakers had a – a fun young team, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, um, you know, Kuzma, Alonzo Ball. And then, of course, the chance comes to get a guy like LeBron James and all of that goes out the window and then you do what you need to do. Um, I guess what got me thinking about it uh, is, you know, that team never had the success or the, you know, quite frankly, the, the love from the city of Los Angeles that this team does. Some other reasons for that, where they were versus where the Knicks have been over the, the last several years. Um and they also, and this is what I want to ask you about, because you've written about Leon Rose, and they seem to be really embracing this whole kind of, um, you know, it sounds kitschy to say, but this family dynamic. All the players keep coming on these Zooms and talking about it's a family, it's a family. I wonder, will there be some conflict at some point internally about which direction to go? Because how how much do they want to preserve that with and, you know, Randall and RJ, like how much do they play? Have, have you thought about that at all and what, what that might look like? I have. And that's why if it gets to a point where they have to make a deal, particularly with one of those two players, it's going to be very difficult to do that just because you want to see them part of it. They, they in a sense, almost on a certain level, deserve to be a part of it, particularly no. Randall. You can't ask more of a guy no. than they asked of Randall uh, this year. And he delivered on all fronts. It, it, it is sort of sacrilege to even think of trading him. But at the end of the day, it's about getting the best possible players. And when you look at the players who win championships in this league, they are the superstars at the very top of the, yep. of the list of talent in the league. And so, so that, and, and well, maybe you now believe that Randall is one of those players. And so, yes, we're going to keep him. And then we're going to, with our picks and maybe with Barrett, try to get another superstar or star with him and, and go that route. But, those are very difficult uh, conversations to have because of the emotional attachment now to this team that the city has. Yeah. But I, I think that Tibbs is on record. Remember, he said we have to be aggressive in yeah. seeing free agents and the best players in this league, whether it's through free agency, through trades, drafting, developing, and then trading those players to get uh, top talents in the league. So he's on record saying it. So, and he he doesn't he doesn't uh, say anything by accident. He he's been around a long time. He knows what he's saying when he's saying it. And I've talked to people close, very close to Tom, and and someone didn't want to be identified. And he is all in. If they can get a a top top five player in the league, and you have to trade one of your top guys with with other parts that are attractive, and you've developed. He, He's in on that. He, he's going to be willing to do that because he understands what wins championships in the NBA, even though he hasn't won one. He did in Boston, obviously, as a doc assistant. But Different. Uh, yeah. No, the Knicks are going to have to pull the trigger if they are confident that they're getting a better piece to win a championship without question. And, and you have to make decisions that are not emotional. You have to take that out of the equation. So I, I guess the, the long way of, of answering your question is, I think the family part of this dynamic will be 
brush the side, hmm. uh, push the side for, for a bit to, to make a deal that puts them closer to championship contention. Um, you make me think of a uh, famous line. It's, it's, it's not personal. It's strictly business, which, which makes me think of uh, a lot of the comps that fans have for, for Leon Rose, that he's, you know, he's the Don of this, this thing. Um, he has done quite a job. It seems from afar navigating on one hand, the everybody below him, putting them in, the, you know, making the organization a place that you, you people seem to want to be. And then there's the guy above him who, again, you've, you've had a more meaningful conversation with James Dolan than anybody uh, ever has, as far as I'm concerned. How important do you think Leon's ability to, I don't know if sidestep is the right word, but just navigate the, the complicated relationships that come with having a Dolan on team? Because look, fans are going to get mad at me for bringing this up, but look, the, the, the last 20 years is what, he is, is what it is. And to stick your head in the sand and say, oh, those, those just, it's bad luck. I, I feel like that's a little silly. Um, Dolan has been here for all of it. W- what do you take from what he's been able to do uh, navigating that? I think he's done a good job and, and a big part of it, obviously winning helps, but that Leon has been able to, Dolan really, my understanding is that uh, the coaching staff and the front office, everything they've asked Jim Dolan to do, he's done. So right now, it, it's sort of a lights out partnership between coach, coaching staff, front office, and ownership. Now, we saw with the Rangers, that can change in a heartbeat. And we thought the Rangers were actually sort of doing it the way that they announced they were going to do it, rebuild, and then all of a sudden, the people in charge of that are gone. So James Dolan could wake up one day and change everything. And that, that is something to be concerned about if you're a Knicks fan. And I, I think that, that those Ranger moves and getting rid of J.D., one of the most liked Rangers ever, and the guy who's never had to buy a drink or a meal in this town, all of a sudden, he's out the door. And so... It's, it's still an X factor. He's still a wild card. And I think those conversations Leon is going to have to have with agents and top free agents, their clients, Dolan's going to come up. And I think he's going to say, listen, I've managed him fine. I'm in charge of basketball operations along with William Wesley. We're running the show. He's listening to us. So what we tell you is going to happen is what's going to happen. Don't worry about Dolan. That doesn't mean that the top free agents aren't going to worry about the owner because he is uh, mercurial and, and unpredictable. And it's a good word, mercurial. So, yeah, and and, and he's, the, the record is uh, what it is. He's been the worst owner in the NBA for for almost twenty years. So yeah, now that bom- now that uh, excuse me, uh, bomber. Um, now that uh, Sterling is out, yeah, yeah, Sterling being out of the league certainly. But so this year he's been a good owner because he stayed out of the way. He approved of the hiring of, of Thibodeau, and, and, and Leon Rose so far is doing a very good job, and he hired Leon Rose. So, so Dolan this year has actually been a pretty good owner, and, but the previous almost 20 years, he was a really bad owner. So I think it's a question that Leon Rose is prepared to answer in free agency, and I think he'll do a good job of answering Um you have written the, as far as I'm concerned, the two uh, definitive um, biographies on two of the three greatest dynasties, uh, my sporting lifetime, at least the Yankees and um, and the Patriots. With the, I'll put, I'll give the Spurs their credit; they, they had a pretty good run as well. Uh, we need a Popovich, a Popovich book from you. Can you get that on the docket? What, what, what's no, taking so long? I'm not going down uh, that path. And 
nothing against Greg Popovich. I, I don't know if uh, that book would pop for uh, uh, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if he has if there's the same national fascination. That's fair. That's fair. I could, I could be wrong about that. I think it's a book that obviously would sell uh, quite well in, in that market, but. I think nationally that Belichick and now even even Coach K, I think there's more of a of a fascination and, and more intrigue about those figures than Belichick. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, certainly. So somebody we're gonna. Will we're going to get to uh, Coach K and ask me my last question. But regarding these dynasties, you, you kind of have peered behind the curtain again and, and seen what makes these things last. Um, is it a? Do you think it's about having a central figure like a Jeter, like a Belichick? Um, you know, and and again here in New York, that's that's been really hard. Um, do you think it's even possible with the Knicks to have? I mean, we're we're all loving this year. It's this year has been fantastic. Do you think sustained success is possible in this market with this franchise? Well, we've seen it, so sure. I think if the Yankees could do it like they did, winning four out of five World Series and really almost five out of six. Yep. And, and I think that what you saw in that program was there was an even healed consistency running right through that. Yeah. From Jeter to Tory to Mariano Rivera. Think of those personalities and just how consistent they were every single day through that dynasty. Okay. Then look at Belichick. You may not like his personality uh, publicly if you're not a Patriots fan, but it was consistent. Almost every day he was yep. consistent, and Tom Brady was too. So I think now what you need to see with the Knicks is Tibbs, who is consistent too, I believe. And we'll see about Leon Rose long term because he's never done this before. He's doing yep. a good job so far. I'd certainly like to see him talk to the fans a lot more than he has. Only the one time. Yeah, and, and so I don't agree with that approach. I think when you're a, a general manager or executive of a historic franchise, and particularly in, in the ultimate media market of New York, you need to talk to the fans uh, sometimes. You can't just hide all the time. I'm not saying he's hiding, but you're never communicating with the fans. I, I just don't think that's the right way to go back in business. But he is doing a good job, and we'll see about him long term. But I think Tibbs now has hit a sweet spot in his career, in his 60s, having learned from past mistakes. He might not, again, admit this for public consumption, I think he's made a couple of tweaks, and I think he's found a comfort zone. I know for a fact that he's comfortable in the New York media market, more comfortable here than he was with the media in Chicago mm. and Minnesota because he grew up uh, with this uh, media group to some degree under Van Gundy. Yes. A number of us are still around. Obviously, younger guys like yourselves uh, are also part of this, but whether it's Mike Vaccaro, Adrian Wojnarowski, Myself, Mark Berman, Frank Isola, these are all people who are around still that were there in the 90s when he was under Van Gundy when there was a lot of success. So I know for a fact that he's very comfortable in this media market and that helps. Last one, and then we'll let you go. Um, the next one. Oh, God, I'm excited about this. Uh, Coach K, the rise and reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Um, you, it feels like you've been working on this one for a while. Uh, can you give us a, a little peek behind the scenes of what the process of writing that book has been like and uh, when, when fans can look forward to seeing that? Uh, that? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. That book will be out in February after the Super Bowl before March Madness. And be interesting, I think he'll coach 
another two, three, four years, but yeah. it's possible this could be his his final season. I, I knew he wasn't going to end on, on this note and uh, not making the tournament, the pandemic shutting down and really ruining his season. So I, I, I knew he wouldn't retire off of, off of that, but I'd be curious to see how long he goes now being in the seventies. But my process with, with the Coach K book, similar to the Belichick, my other books, talk to hundreds of people and just try to write the definitive profile of, of a great figure in sports. And so hopefully uh, I'll pull that off. I'll let the, the readers be the judge of that. But I, I think with Coach K, he's not exactly what uh, – there are a lot of grandmothers around America who probably love him or the perception of Coach K. But if you sat behind his bench, or if they did, they wouldn't love him as much. <laughs> he is the, uh, the most profane coach I think I've ever encountered. It, really? A lot of people, unless you sit behind that bench, yeah. It, it is – it's amusing how profane he is. And Oh, wow. He admits it, but it's bad. Uh, it, it is rough. And I think there's a little bit more of at least the maybe the younger version of him. There, were, there was a little more Bobby Knight in him than maybe people realized. And huh. the relationship between Knight and Krzyzewski is, I would say, a fairly big part of the book. There's some fascinating stuff that I found that hasn't really been out there before. And so uh, that's one of the narrative threads running through the, through the book. Well, I can't wait to read it as uh, I'm sure everybody uh, is going to be. It's it's funny you said you hope you pull it off. Your your next miss will be your first miss. Uh, I am. I am. Thanks. <laughs> no, I I am. I've, I've read you for a long time, Ian. Um. Anyway, Ian O'Connor. Um. I. I gosh. I, I. I hate saying this to to guests who are or like living legends. But can you can you tell the folks at home where they could find you if they are unfamiliar with that? Well, I, on Twitter, Ian underscore O'Connor and. Uh, at the New York Post now, nypost.com. I've been there for a couple of months. And uh, so I'm, I've sort of gone full circle, started really in New York at the Daily News and yep. now, now at the Post. And back in the, the 90s, there was a real tabloid war going on and, and being at the news. It's interesting to be on the other side of that now. And <laughs> I think the Post, and I thought this before I joined, after nearly 11 years at, at ESPN.com, is one of the two or three best sports sections in the country, if not the best. So hopefully I've added uh, one or two percent uh, <laughs> to that. And, and if not, so be it. But but I'm glad to be there. Well, Mark Berman is a we are proud to say Mark Berman is a friend of this podcast. Multiple appearances on on the Nick Phillips School pod. Um, and now we get to, to add you to list, which has absolutely been an honor. Everybody. Um, Please go out if you if you have not read any of like Ian's books. One, what are you doing? Two, um, they're all as relevant now as they were the day they came out because that's just your writing style. Um, these things never go bad. Uh, the shelf life is is to infinity. So thank you so much. We were honored to have you. And uh, for everybody out there, thanks for catching another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We'll be back with you in another one very soon. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.